Hello everyone and welcome to Invisible Not Broken. I have the most patient person ever here, Sarah. Um, she is putting up with me even though I am about a half an hour late for our interview thanks to a new medication switch. And uh, we're going to be talking today about ME and uh, which was known as uh, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and she's wearing the most awesome rose colored glasses which I thought it was just for epilepsy, but I've just been informed also for migraines. So, and please forgive my appearance if you're looking on YouTube. Um, this is literally rolling out of bed. So this is a hashtag no filter. <laughs> All right. So thank you. It's nice to see you today, Sarah. Yeah, I'm excited to be talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I'm so sorry. I was, I was um, sleeping in today. So you have ME and fibromyalgia, which are and uh, migraines, which are three of like the hardest to diagnose for um, for people because it's so um, the symptoms can be so ubiquitous, like they can sort of fit into so many different forms. Were you able to get a quick diagnosis, or did you go for a while? Oh yeah. Well, like luckily for me, my dad has had chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia before I did. So because he had already been through a lot of it. They were like, oh, she has the same thing. <laughs> it's so weird to say that's lucky, but it's really lucky when you have a family member who has has these crazy things. They know where to look. Oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of people like have to figure it out on their own. But with us, it's like we're, we do it as a family. <laughs> <laughs> a family that, that uh, naps and has take lots of medication together, oh, yeah. together, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, so your father, um, he's probably like closer to my age. Um, was that a long journey for him or was he able to? This Emmy even has been a hard one um, to get a diagnosis. It's only been a few years since they've really gotten that as a, most doctors know what that is. Yeah, he got, he was like having problems when he was young and in his 20s he got so sick to where he couldn't like get out of bed or even shave or walk to the end of the driveway and he grew up in like a different time than us even though like we still have a hard time getting diagnosed now like back then it was unheard of um so he got called like lazy a hypochondriac I mean people doctors told him that it was his way of taking a break from being successful oh my god hard. so he kind of grew up with like uh, constantly having to defend himself and like search for answers. Yeah, it makes me want to cry. I mean, I, I, I know exactly what that feels like for when you're growing up, especially when you're like for my children being teenagers. And when I was a teenager being told I was lazy or, or um, just attention seeking or all these other things to, and to not have an answer. That's sort of the default if someone is not behaving the way society wants them to behave. Yeah, it's like the hard, it's one of the hard things to go through. Um, but I feel like a lot of the way I've taken on dealing with this illness is due to the way he, he takes it on because he was treated so poorly that I feel like um, I just assumed that, oh, this is something I don't need to tell other people about because this is how I'm going to get treated. Oh, wow. Uh, so I just kind of like watched him growing up that way. And now I'm like, I think just until recently, I started talking about it with other people. I mean, the chronic illness uh, closet is real. Like the coming out of the closet as chronic illness look, is a real like, thing. When I like, I like put on my social media that I had health problems. Oh my gosh! So how did that go for you? Because like, seriously, you are much younger than I am, and when I was young, the worst thing that you could think of was someone would read your diary. Like that, someone would like 
everything's yeah. so private and this next generation coming in, I feel like everything's so public. It's like we have blogs for our diaries and we publish them for everyone. How was that to like go super public, super public? Uh, honestly, I was like scared to death to do it because like I've only like kept it within like my family and a few friends, but it was the best thing that I've ever done because it like gave me like some control back over this illness that basically controls everything from how like when you go to the bathroom and when you sleep and what you can eat, like every aspect of my life was changed when I got sick. So being able to talk about it the way I wanted to talk about it and share my side of the story was kind of freeing in a way. And when did you start presenting symptoms? Uh, when I was 16 years old, um, I was like, I was like a normal high school student before this. I was a fast pitch softball pitcher getting scouted for colleges. Um, I was in the band, um, honor, and then it all kind of started with a bunch of migraines, um, which just kind of pounded me down. And I kept trying to fight through them, go back to high school. And it just got to the point where I couldn't even go to school anymore. Um, and I was just at home completely exhausted and like never recovering. I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine. I'm... (laughs) been right there but just I'm so far from high school right now that I'm trying to remember what that was all like because everyone has an opinion about you in high school and oh um and then well the hardest thing for me I think was that my dad had already been sick and disabled um by the time I started having problems for years so we had already made the decision to move to Florida um because we have like this amazing giant family that lives close to each other, is super supportive. So, because um, when even when my dad got sick, my mom had to go back to work. Everything changed. We were having to like take care of each other, and there we just needed help basically. So we moved right when I got sick. Oh boy! So I so I had to go through my senior year of high school um, at a school that would take me part time just so I could graduate. Um, and starting a new school year high sp- in high school, like your senior year with, with an illness was like impossible to make friends. It's so frustrating. I mean, you start thinking about your future at 16, you're like being scouted for, for colleges and then to have that kind of switch. And then to have, you know, like when you're a teenager, at least when I was a teenager, it was like your support system wasn't necessarily your parents, it was your friends. And then you're... Yeah. you're sent over somewhere else. So how did that work out with your teachers? I'm, I'm always curious because I know what I went through with teachers and I know what my son went through with teachers. And I always kind of want to hear like what it's like to be a teenager um, with that, with, with, te- with teachers and their decisions on how kids well, are. Um, oh, we have such yeah, a bad connection. Let's try that one more time. So I did and um, the teachers, I don't think they really knew much what the, of what was going on with me. It was more of, um, like, the principal and the advising department. So if I ever needed anything, I would just go to them, and they would kind of help me take care of it. Um, I think I was lucky in that way because I was able to graduate, and I've been going part-time to college ever since, so I'm still dealing with these teachers and <laughs> school and trying to get, like, special treatment for just so I can get an education when you have the trifecta of invisible illness and that that's a little difficult to get people to really take that seriously when you can't meet deadlines yeah 
Oh, we are freezing um, up and down. Are you getting right now? freezing? Yeah, your your Skype connection's up. Um, so when I first started college, I like, of course, I was applying to other schools and different programs, like all my friends were. Um, and even though I got accepted into them, I couldn't go away to school because my health was at such a bad point. So I've been going to, I started at community college part-time and living at home. And then um, eventually I got into architecture school, which happens to be like close enough to live at home for. So I'm doing it. Congratulations. That's really exciting. I love it so much, but it's like also very frustrating because like every year my friends graduate and I start over with like a new class. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just smiling so hard because I know that feeling of being left behind. Um, Yeah. It's something that, like, at first really bothered me because I felt like these people who, like, I was accepted into my program in the top 10 of my class. Like, I was always, like, on top of things um, and doing good with my work, but they, like, didn't understand why I was being left behind. And I think because I wasn't continuing with them, they kind of would drop me as a friend or wouldn't take me seriously. Um, So it really feels, feels like every year I'm, like, starting over. That's so hard. I mean, socially, and I'm going to guess professionally, that's that's a big hill to climb up. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it's frustrating because I'm like, why am I going through all this? Am I even ever going to be able to be an architect? But I think it's kind of more romantic than that because I'm just so passionate about it. It's like the one thing that keeps me going and it like actually hypes me up um, despite everything that's going on. I'm so happy to hear that because it's like, it's just people who have passion for what they do is so exciting. It's, you can see it in your face. Like, your face lights up when you talk about it. You get this, it's almost like you have a crush grin sort of thing. It's, it's what gets... And it's like nothing like, you can do. Yeah, like, yesterday, um, we had a meeting with one of my with classes that I'm taking right now downtown with an actual architecture firm, and I was just, like, having a blast. Like, part of me was like, okay, I'm moving in. But the other part (laughs) was like, how am I going to ever do this? So it's like this battle of, oh my gosh, I want to do this. And am I going to be able to? So you probably haven't gone through any of your interviews yet. Do you, how how are you going to approach the interview process with your disorders? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> That's totally fair. I, I was just curious because I've always worked for myself um, after like a short little stint of trying to work for someone else and being as sick, it was just impossible and I had to have my own hours. So I started my own business mainly because I'm like, well, nothing that exists is going to work for me. So I just am going to have to make it then. That's awesome. And like, I hope that I can do something like that. I mean, I still have another year left just to get my undergrad and it will have taken me eight years to graduate with like a four year degree. Is it, I hear that and it makes, I don't even know you. It makes me so fucking proud of you because I'm like, <laughs> it's so easy to go, well, this isn't working. This isn't happening. It's going to be too long. I'm done. Forget it. I'm gone. And for you to stick through, that is so, that's not so much about you. Like, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's, I'm very proud of myself, too. It's, like, a big accomplishment. And I think I get, like, weird looks from the classmates, even though I've been with them for a while, because, like, like even just showing up with, like, my hat and my glasses because the light bothers me, and they're like, oh, you look so cool. And I'm like, <laughs> it's not because I'm cool. And also, like, because of my migraines lately, I haven't 
been able to use a computer in about eight months. And I'm in an architecture program. So it makes it impossible. So I've gotten so good at drawing and using a typewriter that people think that I'm using a computer program in my classes. I'm so impressed with you. You just have like the spirit of like, okay, so this isn't working out. I'm going to figure it over here. And it was so charming to get like hand typed things from you. I was like, this is lovely. <laughs> I'm like feeling all John Steinbeck you right now. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, I could like be here when it's happening because like, I just want you to imagine me like at a typewriter with it being like click, 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 choo-choo. And then my dad in the other room, like, practicing his bass guitar while laying down because of his fibromyalgia and then my sister like using a foot mouse and talking to her computer like one room over because of her fibromyalgia and it's just like this circus that goes on that's so normal to us but I realize it's totally hilarious when I start talking about people (laughs) so charming adopt me that's darling I love it. So your whole family is, and I'm really curious how this dynamic works. I I feel really fortunate that in my family, I'm the one, except for my father, I'm the only one who's so disabled I can't work or function in the real world. How does this work for you guys as far as like figuring out how to run a house, how to keep a house clean, how to get money into a house? It is is wild. Like every day is so entertaining because of it. My mom is the only one that's like, 100% healthy so she's the one that goes to work every day Um, while she's out of the house the house just goes downhill so fast but we don't let her see it and like so we have this thing called defcon 5 we're at five o'clock for about five minutes all three of us just rapidly start fixing that house like opening the blinds again putting the throw pillows back on the pillows um on the couches um, making sure like the laundry is not hanging out all over the place. Like it's a disaster during the day, but when she gets home, it's pristine. I want DEFCON 5 in my house. That is, <laughs> that is the new role around here. That is great. So how do you guys support each other since you're all home? Like, um, we're with each other a lot. Um, especially since me and my dad are mostly housebound. Um, it's, it's just such a fun dynamic because my dad's been having um, this severe throat problem from his fibromyalgia where he can't talk barely at all anymore. So he's been learning sign language. And so it's, and then I have like eye problems with seeing and everything. So it's like this big game of charades to communicate with each other constantly. I don't mean to laugh, but that's just like, well, I think you guys is. have just started the new sitcom. There, there's going to be a reality show at your house. <laughs> it should be. Like, it literally is a sitcom, especially because my extended family, even though they don't completely get it, they, like, try so hard. And our house is just this revolving door of people, like, no one uses our front door. People just walk in. They bring us dinner. They take my dad to sign language class. They take me to doctor's appointments or class. Or my cousins come over for dinner to keep us company. Like, it's always something. Um, And the funny thing about the sign language is my grandma takes my dad, and she is just the absolute worst at sign language. So, like, whenever she does it, she'll, like, accidentally flick us off or something. can't really tell her. And it's just constant. Like, stuff like that happens all the time. It sounds like everyone's been able to band around your family to give you guys a really good net. I Yeah, like, I don't know what we would do without them, because um, 
I mean, when we first moved here, we were living with my grandparents. So we were literally under their roof. Like everything changed. Like I no longer had my softball team or my friends or the house I grew up in. Like, um, like I mean it when I say like every single thing changed. Yeah. And to be when going my, from a body that you could count on. And when you went from a body that you could count on to a body that is not reliable. In a new oh, place. yeah. And it was so, like, that was the hardest time for me. And another thing that made it really difficult when I was in high school is um, a lot of people with chronic fatigue syndrome have, like, these viral infections that um, doctors try to treat with antivirals and antibiotics. So we found a doctor when we moved here for me to start taking those, and it ended up giving me systemic candida. And are you serious? And you, yeah. So usually people, oh, I'll just get thrush, like it'll go away uh, if I take some medicine. But it was so far past that point that it was throughout my entire system. It was in my gut. It was in my toenails. And it was just the most miserable time. And I think, like, when I was filling out this form for our interview, I was thinking about how, how did, when did your disorder become a daily issue? And in this case, it became, like, an hourly issue. Because we're talking about every single meal and just every time I ate making me so sick to the point where I was bloated and I could feel my skin stretching. Um... So not only was I like starting a new high school, not knowing anybody and being sick, but I couldn't eat. <laughs> I just, I feel like I want to hug like the 16 year old you. I feel so bad. That's like the worst. <laughs> I know. It was so bad. Like I couldn't go out to eat for dinner. I couldn't go get coffee. I couldn't even eat at friends' houses. Like I remember one time going to a friend's house and they were like trying to accommodate me and they gave me like a veggie burger and I was like, I can't eat this. So like we were sitting outside and I would just like nonchalantly throw some of it over my shoulder every once in a while. So they wouldn't know that like I couldn't eat it. I feel like dogs are really happy when like chronic illness guests come over <laughs> to their house because it's like just so much of like, you know, you're cheering and you're like Ah, you know, hand over to dog. <laughs> my dog is so spoiled because of it. Like even the other day, I went into the kitchen to, to um, get dinner, and the entire kitchen floor was soaking wet. And I'm like, "What happened here?" And I realized it's because my dad missed the entire sink when he was straining the noodles, and he had no idea. That's, that's so just so dangerous if you have hot water. I, I'm going into mom yeah. mode. I'm like the poor dogs. I hope they were there when it was hot. <laughs> Oh, I think our dog is just always kind of traumatized by us. Not really sure what's going on. Oh my gosh. I, I have a, um, I call him the wolf. He's 95, almost 100 pounds. A beast. And his reaction to like, mommy is sick. Mommy shouldn't get up is laying across my stomach, all 100 pounds. Like, okay. That. Yeah. It's I very just uh, um, a hundred pound golden retriever. Oh. He passed away like a year and a half ago, but so he sorry. was like my best friend. Like, cause even no matter what I was going through, he was just there to like cuddle and hang out and just make sure I got up and went on walks. It oh. was like great. <laughs> so how are your, how are you doing with the ME with like physical activity? Are you able to go for walks? How do you keep yourself from, it's like, I'm asking this honestly because I have POTS and that's the heart condition thing. And I'm looking for advice because if I do go out and move around, I faint. If I don't, my heart deconditions. How do you walk that tightrope? <laughs> it's like, 
if I don't walk, everything else goes away, you know, <laughs> like everything stops, everything gets messed up. So you have to keep moving, but it's like trying to find like kind of this battle of where is it okay. And I like recently, one of my friends got me um, a Fitbit watch. So I could kind of like over a few weeks, I kind of tracked how many steps I typically took. Mm-hmm. And I kind of found that sweet spot where I was like, okay, this is how many steps I need to take. And like it tracks your heart rate and all kinds of things so that you can kind of determine like when is too, is too much for me and where should I stay? Um, so I kind of have that going on. Um, I mean, there were times when I wasn't even leaving that house and my dad would literally yell at me and be like, get up. We're going to walk to the end of the driveway <laughs> and back. And like, I would be like begging him not to make me get up the whole time. So it's just like being a support system and just like forcing each other to make sure we're doing something, even if it's just a little bit every day. I think that's part of what people have a problem with, which you definitely don't being able to stay through college when it's not going as you expected is like, if it's not going as expected, forget it and not doing it. Like if I can't walk a mile, screw it. I'm not going to do it. I can't walk. That's like the mindset I get into. It's like, if I, I can't do what I expected to do. I can't do it at all. Like, forgetting that yes you could probably walk to the end of the driveway and back that's still saying you can like that I could probably do it's um I think think the problem is just finding ways to adapt like we are hilarious when it comes to adapting to different things like even just some of the things I've told you like I mean your sister's mouse thing I'm intrigued that's cool using the foot for the mouse that is really cool like we're like that's painful I can't do it my dad's like because he's like the smartest person I know, even though he's been through so much with a disability. So he like thinks of like different ideas of how like he can help us get through the day better. So, if, and we're kind of all have that kind of personality where we're like, no, we're going to find a way. And I think it's that stubbornness that like helps us find all these weird life hacks. So like I was talking about my sister, like she's, um, she's a professional dancer, um, and she goes to school too. And she went through mono, which kind of triggered fibromyalgia for her. And for her, using a computer or doing fine motor skill things are very painful. So my dad went outside, picked up one of my shoes, which like now I can't wear them anymore because he cut a hole in it and put a mouse in it and duct taped it to her foot so that she could use a computer and do her schoolwork. And it actually works. So. <laughs> It's hilarious to watch, too, because she'll be sitting there and, like, not using her hands at all, but the mouse will be moving and the screen's changing. Um, that is – I hope it does, like, a YouTube video on how to uh, how to actually yeah. make one of these because for Ellis Daniels, that's another thing. Like, a lot – we dislocate our fingers and our wrists all the time, and, yeah, that would be a cool hack. Like, the ones that we were always taught is, like, if you're using a stylus because I'm an illustrator, it's that we have to, like, put tons of rubber bands around it to make it really fat instead of a super yeah. skinny thing. Yeah, but we've been using stylus, too, because of the, like, even using a cell phone is difficult. Oh, like, gosh, I was yes. <laughs> My sister's friend had given her, like, 100 stylus because she loses them every day. And there are just, like, 100 of them sitting in our kitchen. Like, that was what I woke up to this morning. <laughs> that's That's a pretty fun one. <laughs> So how do you guys handle, I mean, I'm thinking more from like how I was, um, because all we had were cell phones or like I was a teenager when cell phones first came out um, and I can't use phones because my wrists keep popping out. So I always insist on texting or email, but you guys can do that now. Like that's not a thing where people keep trying to want to call you, right? Um, 
Like, what do you mean? Um, like, so people, I don't know, it's like the thing with the phone is like, people get kind of pissed off at me that I won't talk on the phone if I don't absolutely have to. Like, I'll talk to my son on the phone, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> otherwise I want yeah, texting I, for the thumb. I got to the point where like the friends that are good friends are the ones I'm still friends with because they know that if I ignore them on a phone call or if I cancel plans, they're not going to be pissed at me because they know I'm a mess. And anyone who hasn't been able to accept that, I've kind of had to let go of because I can't, I, I'm the kind of person where I want to make everyone happy and it'll put my health at risk even to do that. So I've gotten to the point where I'm like, no, I just have to like kind of be savage about it. And to- I'm going to just underline that really quickly because I think that's a huge issue for all of us with chronic illness is like, we want to make everyone happy. And if we do that, we're going to end up making ourselves sick. Yes, exactly. So it's just gotten to the point where like I have to put myself first, which is like so hard for me to do. But I've gotten <laughs> So it. teach me, Guru, please. How do you put yourself first? Is that something I'm still learning? <laughs> I am still the person uh, who will put myself on fire to light someone's flame. Like I will absolutely burn myself too. to the end to make sure someone else has what they need. Um, I think it's like one thing is prioritizing. Um, so like with school I have to figure out I have to tell myself like if I don't put myself first I'm not going to be able to go to school I'm not going to be able to help my family and just thinking of what I need to get done um I think another huge thing for me was putting people out of my life that weren't putting my health first because if you have people who are toxic and who are constantly like pulling that energy from you then um you're going to be running on empty and they're just not the kind of people that are worth having in your life and I think that's, like, a really hard thing to to do. <laughs> it's taken me, like, eight years to find, to, like, to find people who get me. That is so brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely love that, that you do need to remove the toxic people who do not put your health first, because they might be great people, but for you personally, if you're that sick, that that's actually one of the great Lippmann's tests of, like, whether someone stays in your life is can they put your health first? Yeah, and and one thing that I tell myself when I'm like when I'm having a hard time with that is that people can change, but you can't change them. So oh, like, if you need to what, just like underline like, these, write them in a book. That is good. It's like it's so true though, because you can think about it, and you want to change a person, you want them to understand, but unless they're willing to do that, then there's nothing you can do, and you have to like kind of let it go and let them do it. Um, and that's been a big game changer for me recently. I mean, dating, friends, everything that people can change, but you can't change them. That that should be um, underlined in every person's book before they start dating. I have like a few rules for myself that I keep. Like another one that that has really been a journey, as I'm sure you've been through and anyone with invisible illness has been through. It's just like when you get sick all of a sudden, it's like everything that you thought defined you kind of goes away. Like you're like for me, it's like, okay, I'm no longer an athlete. I'm no longer first chair in the band. I'm not at school. My friends are gone. My boyfriend's gone. I'm in a new state. Everything's different. And so it's taught me to kind of build up my own self-worth on things that can't be taken away. If I am going through a hard, sick time, you know, it's like, you can't, I can't define myself based on physical things. I've had to kind of figure out who I am through all this. And uh, I think that's been the biggest blessing and the biggest lesson that I've learned through all of this. That is outright utterly beautiful. And yes, you're absolutely right. Like the, the rebuilding of yourself 
if you do it when you're young, I think it's almost easier as you get older and things go away more. And that you have a, an incredible role model in how to be sick, I think is incredible. Because like if you look at like how we get our role models as kids, it's usually on TV or through movies. And there are very, very few realistic shows of invisible chronic illness um, or also disability um, or mental illness on TV or shows that actually show what it's really like. So we don't have a lot of like heroes that we can model our, our behavior and how we handle things off of anything other than our, you know, if we have a parent or someone who leads the way with how to do it, I think that that changes the game a lot. My dad is like my hero because he's just been through even more than I've been through. And like you would think that someone like that would be angry or whatever, but he's just got this huge faith and he just handles things in such like an admirable way. I mean, he always freaks out a little bit at first because our nerves are shot. But <laughs> we always problem solve together. We always handle things. Like, I always think, like, we did that the best we could. And I'm just going to, like, throw quotes through this entire... I'm going to have to go back through this entire hour and pull out <laughs> all of your quotes and just, like, highlight them and put them up at the top of the interview because you are so good at this. <laughs> well, I, like... I do a lot of thinking about this kind of thing. I don't know about you, but like getting involved with talking to other people about it and like trying to share about it, you kind of have these realizations as you go. Um, you know, a lovely friend of mine who interviewed me for her podcast, uh, and we've, we've had experiences where people say they don't like my voice. If you don't like my voice, go to Lauren at This Is Not What I Ordered. She's amazing, and she has a great voice. Um, but she's become a friend of mine, and she said... Uh, I think she was always said that uh, my body is an extrovert my, or my body's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. And there's like that, that encapsulates it like right there. Like I feed off of being around other people and getting ideas from other people. That's where I feel sparky. And like my brain feels alive. All of a sudden, like you get that heat in your brain where it starts going, Oh yeah, that's right. Ideas. I remember those. And that's like talking right. to people. <laughs> my body just keeps me from going to those meetings or to other things and getting to actually get out in the world. <laughs> Yeah, that's the most thing ever. And it's like another thing you have to do is you have to keep your mind busy, like audiobooks, podcasts, even having friends that just like talk about these things with. Like for me, I didn't, even though I had my dad who is also sick, I really didn't know anyone else. And I didn't have anyone my age that was going through the same thing as me. And one time I went on like a retreat um, at college and I met this girl who was like, had we started talking and we had the same things going on and we realized we both had chronic fatigue syndrome and like as soon as like that light bulb went off that someone else understood for once I didn't have to explain myself was like better than anything any cure or any doc thing any doctor could say it was just having somebody who got it who was my age and related to it yeah, I saw you to an oncologist once who was a research studier for um, breast cancer, and she said the number one thing to predict whether a woman would survive stage four breast cancer was how many friends that that per um, that she was studying women in particular, um, but how many friends that person has is like close, close friends, like the people who have your back. That would be the ultimate signifier whether someone would survive um, stage four breast cancer, and it's like that 
feels really true to free for every human being, like in so many ways. Like if you have people who actually have your back, you start caring about yourself. You start to really care about like, okay, well I need to like people tell me all the time, like, I can't believe you have kids with your illnesses, like and your disabilities. How do you possibly do this without kids? So I'm like, I really don't understand how anyone does it without kids. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my words. Everyone forgive me, please. I am on so many meds right now. I dislocated like four things at one o'clock in the morning. So I am, um, I am, uh, I am a walking opioid epidemic right now. So, um, <laughs> I will try to get my words right. People ask me how I do this with children. I don't know how anyone does it without like someone who relies on you, like be that a pet, a dog. My kids are everything to me and they're the ones who will come into my room and remind me I have an interview in the morning at 10 o'clock when I've slept in and, I don't know how you do this without close people who have your back or at least pets yeah. who are like, get up, person, I need you. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, like, glad to hear you say that, too, because I think it's something that's always been in the back of my mind where, like, will I be able to get married and have a family and have my own kids? Or, like, how, what is my – and it's so unknown. So to hear, like, other people say, like, no, I have a family, I have kids, I, like, I do my own thing. Yeah, it's really encouraging. It's so I'm glad we, I, I'm so glad I can encourage someone. To, <laughs> yay! <laughs> I won today. That's a good. Um, you know, it's it's a hard thing when you're dating um, and you have chronic illness. I have plenty of people who I was with, and some that I was with for a really long time. That were like, "Okay, I'm out. I'm I'm 20 something. I can't do this. This is more than I was signing up for." Even when I told them that I was sick before, like the reality of living with it was just too much. But you do. Have that thing happened to me because um a year and a half ago I was engaged and I've been dating this guy for like four years like I was even though I'm a mess up and down I was so happy because he was my best friend and all of a sudden he couldn't deal with it and and losing that was like it was such a bummer <laughs> you know, I, you are, you have like the sweet, you remind me of my husband. He says like, Ipsy Daisy, bummer, gosh darn it. I am like, that is a fucking disaster. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I like that you, you, you remind me of my husband that way. That's very sweet. <laughs> I know. I like, even when I go to doctors, my dad's like, okay, you need to be, you need to tell him how it is. Be a little bit mean. And I'm like, I can't, I'm too nice. <laughs> So I'm so sorry I got us off topic about your ex-fiance. He just was like at a point where he was realizing the reality of it or? I think so because we were, um, I think it was, it was so much. And it was at a point where my fatigue was just really at the worst it had been. I was cutting down on classes. Like I needed a lot of help. And I mean, for a long time, it, like I think when things like that happen, you feel like, oh my gosh, it's my fault because I'm sick. Yeah. a year to realize it wasn't my fault I mean I'm awesome <laughs> I'm worth the trouble yes you so are <laughs> <And> awesome <laughs> it's like I think well like honestly after all that happened is when I started blogging about my illness because I was like I'm not going to put my worth into other people I'm not going to put it into things that can be taken from me if my health is bad I'm going to put it into something I'm passionate about and I've been trying to do that ever since and really like that knocked me down and I had to build my work back up to be like, no, you deserve what everyone else deserves. That's beautiful. That's absolutely amazing. And you know, the thing is like when you're dating and you have something like this, it's, 
it really um, takes out all the people who aren't serious, who aren't like, who are just like playing around. Like I felt almost like I was lucky because I was a single mom and I had like disabilities and I was like, wow, someone's going to be here. They are here. Like this is, you know, this is what this is really right up front. So I almost felt luckier than um, a lot of the people I know who his chronic illness developed after like, you know, yeah. in their 40s and they had already developed a pattern in their marriage that had to be very changed. Like when my husband married me, we had been friends for three years. He had seen all of it, like <laughs> all of it. And he was signing up for all of it. So it was much better, well, much easier. Like, um, my parents are really great examples because my dad was pretty healthy for most of my life. Like he was working, he was a softball coach, he was doing everything. And then, um, my mom was staying at home with me and my sister. So like that whole flip flop and her having to take on not only us being a mess, but like supporting us and taking care of us. She's been like the best. And it's just such a great example of like what people with chronic illness deserve is people who are willing to go back for you every day. I think we need to get our moms together for a support group because <laughs> my poor mom, she has like me and my dad who's mostly, well, he's actually in the first time for like three years starting to get out of bed. This is like, this is like, there are trumpets going. There's like, I, I actually sent him like little gifts of um, tortoises, like walking and with like a little background of, um, oh, Chariots of Fire, the race movie. And <laughs> yeah, we, we communicate in gifts a lot of the time, but it's, um. It's so amazing to watch him still, like, you have your father, I have my dad, who's, like, taught me how to deal with chronic yeah. illness in a way that you don't just stop. Like, his way of doing things has been amazing to have that in front of me. So, I don't know how I would do if I didn't have those kind of examples. And I feel like, they're, like, Hollywood needs to really step it up and, like, decide that they're going to have these examples for everyone. <laughs> like, Yeah, we really need it, because that is what you need when you're going through something that's so hard to understand what's happening to you. Even if you like are told, like even when I was told you have chronic fatigue syndrome, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. For me. So what does it mean for you? Like, how do you present with chronic fatigue? Are you, um, we'll see that. Are you dealing with the, so your chronic fatigue? Oh yeah. So another thing about my fatigue is like, I know that, there's this kind of spectrum. There's people with the chronic fatigue syndrome who are bed bound. There's people who can't sit up. There's people who spend their days in a dark room. And that's not me. I, um, I'm up most of the day. Um, whether I'm like slowly working on homework or listening to a podcast or going to a class or a doctor's appointment. Um, so when I am out, like I'm young and I'm cute. So there's no, like, no one looks at me and is like, oh, that girl's sick. Like, I always, like, when I go out, like, I look cute. I have my hair. My hair just looks good. I mean, I have, sometimes I do my makeup in five seconds, but it still looks fine. So when I go to school, people think that, like, oh, I've got it together. That's always a good trick. To, to Yeah, I have my makeup routine down to less than three minutes. If I'm going out, like, I have my, this is, <laughs> this is very, I just rolled out of bed. But I have, like this crazy makeup routine where I could look like a normal person, like even a healthy person. Like it's all down to highlighter and blush. It's amazing. Yeah. Like a little well, highlighter and boom, slept. Cause like when I'm around the house, sometimes my mom will be like, Oh my gosh, your hair looks terrible. And then she'll do it. And then my sister's a makeup artist. 
so she'll do my makeup for me. Like, they don't let me go out looking like crap. They're like, no, you're cute. You're young. You're going to look good. That's adorable. And I feel like I have like a huge advantage because while my disorders are invisible, they're really not that invisible. Like I can go like this and go, look, see, there's a shoulder socket. Like, and so when I want to get out of something or I need to get out of something because I'm not feeling well, it's really easy to just send like a picture of like, here, look at my wrist. I dislocated it. I'm so sorry. I have to stay home, which is usually true. I mean, if I'm out, I'm not out because I should be. Like, if I'm out doing anything out at a friend's house, it is very against doctor's orders. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing it, but... Oh, there we go. Uh, Cracked under second place. <laughs> so, at least I feel like I'm visible. Like, if I'm on public transportation, I, someone will just look at me and go, please sit down, ma'am. Like, please, don't fall. <laughs> so, I feel like it's a huge, like, one-up. Like, you know, Kiros, who's my co-host, who's, like, six-foot-something and, like, wall of a man. And the poor guy, like, every step he takes he's like screaming inside and no one offers him a place to sit down or like goes oh you poor thing why don't you rest it's gotten to the point where I'm like I just kind of take my seat like I don't care if like I'm like stealing a seat or if like I'm parking handicap and I look fabulous like I'm gonna park there anyway because that's what makes me that's the difference of me being able to go into a store or me being able to go to class is having that parking spot so I'm not going to apologize for it even if I get stares for like looking normal I mean that's part of why I did this podcast was because I wanted to start building some more education on disability um it doesn't look like how you see it in the movies like it's not like that there are people who look completely normal and healthy who have to have that spot like if I'm just having a pot stay where my heart's going insane and I still have to get the groceries I have to park right by that that yeah. little door otherwise Trader Joe's is gonna be calling an ambulance and that's gonna cost me like three thousand dollars so it's really it's yeah we found this thing where um you can order your groceries online and so we don't grocery shop anymore. Like we do it online and then go pick it up or get it delivered. And it's been like a game changer because before that it was like, all right, we're out of food for a while until <laughs> mom, like she's not working and can go buy us something to eat. That is one of the best life hacks I've ever heard is to order the groceries online. That's, that's a good one. Do you have any <laughs> other good life hacks? I'm writing them down. This is good. Okay. Another really great one, like this is my all-time favorite one for my family, is my dad, he is like a horizontal person living in a vertical world. Like he needs to be laying down or have his head resting on something. And if you like go in public, most of the time there's no couch to lay down on. There's no chairs. The chairs come up to your lower back. They don't come up and support your neck. So one day I just saw him walking around with like a piece of wood sticking out of his shirt. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like... I'm making a neck rest that I can take with me and it's evolved over time into this piece of wood that's like four inches thick about and he has velcroed like different like a neck support and a lumbar support to it and then he was it looked like so like crazy so he we were like you need to like cover that with something so he went into his bedroom he got one of his like nice black dress pants he cut off half the leg and used that as a carrying case so we call it neck thing and a pant leg and he takes it literally everywhere we go your dad is my new favorite human i'm like because <laughs> it's like this man needs, he needs a 3d printer that man needs a 3d printer so he can like create these like really cool alien-esque like life for me things that he could put on his like that would look really sci-fi cool that he could put on his neck to his back that would really look- that looks cool 
um, cooler for him because right now he's walking around with a pant leg. He needs a 3D <laughs> printer. I really think he could do some amazing things with a Glowforge and a 3D printer. He would be very busy. <laughs> well, it's like tough right now because um, he, he can't talk, but he also has similar vision problems where like using a computer or reading is very difficult for him. So he like, me and him can't use a computer right now. And my sister can't use a computer unless it has like a foot mouse or voice activation. So us trying to like order things, pay bills, look things up. It is like, it takes three computer. I'll be typing like 10 feet away. It's just, it takes, I just, my, my wish is for one person in my house to be able to like use a computer. That would be amazing. That does not seem like it should be so impossible with like the way that Silicon Valley develops stuff. Like there should be a lot more for, um, I, I know Apple's actually been pretty good at their accessibility, but I could really use them stepping up some of it. But, yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be very helpful. It was. But it's, um, someone was just talking on the story just went viral because I look at the internet far too much. And, um, one of the stories that went viral was a blind person who is using their phone um, from speak, but the person is blind as anyone who understands the stages of blindness understands that there's not, you don't just like go automatically necessarily to, okay, the world is black. Like there's stages of blindness. And this person was showing that they could see a little bit, but they were still using their phone on the blind setting. And the person got, um, there was like a huge outrage among the people around them that they'd be using this access when, so again, like there needs to be way more visibility to, um, to understand that everyone's disabilities are different. And I'm so glad you also brought up the levels for your ME because I think that's one of the big misunderstandings with other people. So when you say I have fibromyalgia or I have ME or I have these other things, someone always goes, well, yeah, I have someone too who has this. And it, um, and they're doing so much better than you're doing. And a lot of times it's because they're at a different stage. And if you hear me babbling, it's because I'm waiting for her, um, Skype to buffer and come back to me. <laughs> there seems to be something about Florida that, um, every person I talk to from Florida, the Skype buffers like crazy. So I am babbling waiting for, are you back on? I'm back. Yay. You are. You're a little pixelated. So I'm hoping that comes through again. See, this shows how worth it you are. We are continuing through the interview, making sure you can come back because you are so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> You're still pixelated, but I hope we're still we're still able to talk a little bit. Okay, yeah, I, totally, I hear you. Cool. And I can see you. So. Excellent. Well, not the seeing part. I'm so sorry about that today. <laughs> <laughs> so for you guys, what are you looking forward to you are you're in the middle of school right now are you going to be doing an apprenticeship soon for your my cousin is an uh my cousin's an architect so I know her internship yeah. was kind of intense how are you gonna go about for your internship um that's not like I want to do an internship but I don't know how I'm going to do it and I'm probably gonna wait until I graduate before I do it because I don't think there's any way I could do an internship and school like at this point, like my grandma is my Uber. She drives me to and from school. Grandma uh, Uber, I love it. So it's kind of like my family's going through extraordinary measures to make sure I can go to school right now. And I'm with student accessibility services um, with my college. And um, so I feel like with an internship, it would, 
I would have to kind of figure out what adaptations I could put into place just to pull it off. I understand that. I, I do. I'm just thinking, like, because my brain goes crazy with stuff, and I'm like, gosh, you'd be, like, so incredible as an architect who could design spaces that would minimize the amount of moving someone would have to do to move through yeah. the space. Like, I'm telling you, yesterday we were talking about this performance arts theater that we're designing, and um, they started talking about where drop-off would be and accessibility, and I was like, my family wouldn't make it to the show. Yeah. Like, that was how you designed it. And I kept telling them that, like, there's no way my family would make it to that theater. So I kept saying, like, we need to change it. We need to change it. Because, like, we live accessibility problems. No, it, like, that's why I was so excited. I was, I tried gently to lead you there um, because I, I wanted to see where you're going with that. And I'm so excited to hear you say it because I think that one of the big problems we have is that People who are sick um, are often are marginalized. And when you're looking at building a structure, not having someone on your staff who has a disability means you're not going to think about at least 90% of the problems that are going to come up. So it's so important for any architecture firm or any um, city development firm to have a disabled person on staff to be able to go, hey. And even you're designing yeah. spaces, the thing they always forget is like, this is helpful for everyone. Universal design means everyone, not just sick people benefit from it, but, you know, people who are carrying children or people who are tired or older or, hey, like, you just want to conserve your energy. So you might not want to put the bathroom, like, on the other floor from where everyone's going to, where the dancers are going to be. You want the dancers to be able to go to the bathroom and come back and change and get out. So you might want the bathroom closed. Like, there's so many reasons to make it more universal design. <laughs> I constantly think about like real world situations that we've been in and we're designing these things. I'm thinking about how would I walk through it. We put a wheelchair through it because we go everywhere with a wheelchair now. Um, so that's kind of been exciting. And I think my class like kind of laughs at me when I'm like, my family wouldn't make it, but I'm like, no, seriously, mm -hmm. we don't, would not make that outing at all. Like we have honestly as a family until like the past couple months, we have not done anything outside of our house as a family, except like going to my grandma's house. I hear that so past. much. I mean, like we were, we got Hamilton tickets that we had to say no to. Oh, uh, I did, we didn't get to go because this, the theater in San Francisco is so, um, ADA friendly, um, in huge quotation marks and <laughs> the neighborhood is pretty rough. And the whatever's on the ground is on my wheels, which in that neighborhood could be anything. And the parking structure is a little further away and up a hill from where the the theater was. Yeah. And it was at nine o'clock at really? night. So it's like safety and physicality. All of it's a no for me. I can't go. It was bummed me out. I really wanted to see the show, but it was like <laughs> it's that level of like you would actually say no to Hamilton tickets because the the ADA is not thought through and while it technically meets the standards doesn't mean that we still can go and do these things yeah and it's like you have to think about every step of how your evening's gonna go before you can think about how you're what even yes to doing it yeah um it's gotten to the point where we don't really turn things down anymore we just find another family member to go with if like we can't go like it's like we replace each other so you can still say and then, like, think about it, and then you're like, wait, this isn't going to work. Send uncle so-and-so to go instead. I'm a little jealous of your family. This is, like, a crazy cool bond you guys have. This is awesome. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, like, my favorite thing. So are you the one using the wheelchair, or is your dad or your sister? Um, my or do you dad, take turns? 
actually funny because my dad, um, he, I can walk if it's a short distance. If we're going somewhere that requires more than walking from the parking lot, like to one building, I will rent a chair there. Um, so that means we, if we're going to places, a lot of times we'll need two wheelchairs and two pushers. Okay. And so it's like, we need all hands on deck when we go out. My dad recently found a wheelchair that reclines, um, so that he can lean back more. It's kind of like a stroller, but for an adult. Yeah. My dad has <laughs> one. Cause he can go anywhere in that and we can take him, um, and we were, we found it up in New Jersey and it was like, we were looking at shipping and it was going to be like $500 just to ship this thing down to Florida. And one of my friends, um, drove it down here for us. So Good it's friends. just like, I just have like, I feel like I have amazing people helping me, especially like if I've gotten to the point where I'm not afraid to like ask or say, I have this problem. Can you do this for me? Because a lot of times people will do it, especially if you're not specific with them. Like if I'm like, oh, I have chronic fatigue syndrome, they might be like, what? But if I'm like, oh, I have health problems, I need this. A lot of times they'll be like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's a, that's another good hack there. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, what, like giving people as little information as possible, um, but then still giving them enough information, letting them know that you need help. That's a very good point. I will I will highlight that for the um, the show notes. <laughs> you are an amazing wealth of knowledge here. Um, I'm pretty sure we're getting to an hour here, and I wanted to make sure that like, is there anything you want us to highlight? Any any um, charities? Any health organizations? Um, I mean, I have started blogging um, about like the, my ridiculous family and my life and everything I've been going through, and I really love writing. Um, so I started Invisible Me Diary, and I hope that, like, I love it so much that I hope that someday I can get published or even just have people read it. Like, I get excited if one person reads it. So um, it helps. You know, everyone, if you've been listening to this, you know how incredibly clever, hilarious, and very knowledgeable Sarah is. So I am in the show notes right at the top. You will see a link. I'm going to link to her blog. So go and subscribe, head over, and take a read through. It's really fun to look through. Thank you so much. Oh, so thank you so much for being so patient with me and being such a fantastic interview. Um, so everyone, until next time, uh, be kind, be gentle. Be a badass. If you want to be really nice to us, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us some stars, say something embarrassingly nice about us, and be sure to share us with friends and family.